Good morning, Seabreeze. How's everybody doing today? It's great to see everybody. My name is Elliot. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we are going to continue this summer movie series where we're taking a look at these top movies from the theaters and seeing what does God's word have to say about these movies? What are some of the main ideas we get and what does God say about that? And actually in this movie, the BFG, the Big Friendly Giant, one of the um, ideas that jumps out over and over again is the importance of seeing other people accurately. See, the movie starts off, and you've got this kind of main character, this little girl named Sophie, and she's in the orphanage that she lives at, and she's awake really late at night, and she's just kind of minding her own business and laying in bed reading a book with a flashlight on, and then she hears a crash outside in the street. And so she, against her better judgment, sneaks to the window, and she looks out this open window to see what was going on. And when she does that, she sees a giant hiding in the shadows. And she's horrified and she's shocked. And she knows that she shouldn't do anything, but she lets out this gasp. She goes, <gasps> and when she does that, the giant looks and they make eye contact. And she knows she's in trouble. So she runs back to her bed and she pulls the comforter over and she just tries to pretend like nothing happened and it's just going to go away and nothing will happen. And then the giant comes and he reaches through the window and he grabs her up and then he carries her away to giant country. And then once she's in giant country, she finds herself in this situation where she's on his dining room table, and he's making this meal of this really disgusting-looking vegetable, and it just looks horrid. And he's making this stew, and as she's watching this, she just lets out this cry, and she goes, please don't eat me. And then you saw the clip there. He says, you think because I'm a giant, I'm a man-gobbling, I think he says cannibal or something like that. He's got this really unique way of talking. But you think that just because I'm a giant, you're assuming this about me is what he says. And then he laughs and he explains to her how, no, I don't eat humans at all. But then an interesting thing happens just a few moments later because she asks the BFG, the big friendly giant, well, why did you capture me? Why did you bring me away to giant country? And he explains how, well, because you saw me, if I wouldn't have captured you, you would have gone to the authorities. And you would have told the authorities about me and they would have come and they would have put me in a zoo and everybody would gather around and they would all laugh at me and they would make fun of me. So to prevent that from happening, I had to take you away. So you learn very quickly in the movie that they've both got these assumptions about each other based on what they see. They see something and they jump to a conclusion. And then through the course of the movie, their, their assumptions change and they realize what's true about the other person and they actually become the best of friends through the course of this story. But it takes them getting past what they initially see in the other person. That actually has a lot of application to us today. See, we're not dealing with giants who are living in giant country, but what we see when we look at other people, that determines how we view that person, what we think about them. It also determines how we're going to treat that person. So it's very important for us that when we look at other people, that we see them correctly. Jesus actually tells a story that hits on the importance of this. If you want to follow along, there's Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. We're going to be on page 869. We're going to be reading in the book of Luke, chapter 10. The story is referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Very, very well-known story, but what Jesus hits on is the importance of having an accurate view of other people. So page 869, if you want to follow along. Luke, chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. If you follow along with me, we'll read this story. And this is what it says. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, he being Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus asked, the one who had mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now this story, like I said, is referred to as the Good Samaritan. It's a very well-known story. And in this, Jesus is really challenging the way that we view other people. So there's kind of the three main characters. There's the priest, the Levite, and then there's the Samaritan. And they all walk up and they see the same thing. A half-dead, half-naked guy laying on the side of the road. The priest and the Levite, because of what they see, they go around and they pass by on the other side of the road. They avoid it because of what they've seen. But the Samaritan, he walks up and he sees something very differently. And you can tell by his response. So it appears that they all saw the same thing, but they all responded in very different ways. What they actually saw was very, very different. So for us, again, we've got to make sure that based on what we see, we're seeing correctly. This is a vision test. I'm sure you've taken one of these before. When it comes to a vision test, you start at the top and you work your way down. And if you can see the top line correctly and read it accurately, then you move to the next line and you go line by line through the vision test. If you can get to the red line, the indication is that you view reality correctly. Now, this is not an actual vision test, so don't gauge your ability to see based on what's on the screen, okay? This is the right, I know some of you guys are like, yes, finally, I'm 2020 again. Okay, but what you can see, that's how a vision test. If this is at the appropriate size and you're at the appropriate distance, you start at the top and you work your way down. Some people, when they take a test like this, they realize, I need physical vision correction. Not everybody needs it, but a lot of people do. But when it comes to our spiritual eyes, everybody needs spiritual vision correction. Everybody needs their spiritual eyes corrected. That is because of sin. That's one of the impacts that sin has had on us. Because of sin... We don't see correctly. In other words, our spiritual eyes have gone bad. And we don't see the world the way that God wants us to see the world. So what we need is we need glasses. We need God glasses that allow us to view the world the way that God views the world. It's really what the Bible does for us. When we go to the Bible, what we find is we find who God is. We find who he says we are, who other people are, how we're supposed to interact with other people. What is this world we live in? How does the world work? It informs us how we're supposed to see, how God sees reality and how we're supposed to view reality. So if we want to see clearly, we have to go back and we have to find out what does the Bible have to say. We have to check our vision against that. Now, oftentimes with vision, with our physical vision, what happens is we assume that we can see clearly until we encounter somebody who can see something that we can't see. You might have experienced this. You're hanging out with a friend and they point something out in the distance that they can see. And no matter how hard you squint and strain to see it, you just can't see that object. It's blurry or it's fuzzy or it's not clear to you. And in that moment, you realize, I can't see what this other person can see. And you can go years assuming your vision is fine only to realize that you can't see clearly. 
Exact same thing with spiritual vision. Just because we assume that we see the world the way that God wants us to, the way that God does, that doesn't mean that we do. See, in the story of the Good Samaritan, you take the priest and you take the Levite, in that culture, in that day and time, everybody thought those two men saw everything perfectly the way that God would. Those guys were kind of the top spiritually. They had perfect spiritual vision. That's the assumption. But then Jesus tells this story and makes it very clear. No, they don't see reality the way that God does. And actually, there's this other guy, the Samaritan, who everybody probably would have assumed there's no way he sees clearly on spiritual matters. But he's the one who sees correctly in the situation. See, as Christians, sometimes what we'll do is we'll assume that simply because we're Christians, because we love God, we go to church, we read Christian books, we listen to Christian radio, we'll assume that we view the world the way that God does. But a lot of times what will happen to us is we'll kind of get this tinting over our glasses, kind of like a color. So when we view the world, everything we see is through this certain color. We actually don't see clearly. We don't see reality the way that God wants us to because everything's kind of distorted by this color. Just this last week, I was hanging out with a friend, and we were at an event, and it was outside. And he um, had sunglasses on because we were outside, and so he pointed out somebody that he knew on the other side of the place, and he pointed her out and said, hey, yeah, that lady over there in the purple dress, I know her. So I looked over where he was pointing, and I only saw one woman, and she was wearing a blue dress. So I clarified. I was like, you mean the lady in the blue dress? He goes, no, no, the lady in the purple dress. So we went back and forth, and I was like, I'm telling you, it's blue. And then finally, he lifts up his glasses, and he starts laughing, and he says, oh, my bad. Because of my sunglasses, the dress looked purple, when it was actually blue. The same thing will happen to us. We have kind of this color tinting over our eyes, and we see everything through that. And oftentimes, we're not even aware that we're looking at the world in that way. And this could come from our family. Maybe the family that we grew up in viewed the world a certain way. So we were just kind of born into this way of viewing the world. And so we see everything through this color. It's not necessarily accurate. Or maybe it's because of the job that we have. Maybe there's a line of work that we're in that causes us to see everything through a certain lens. Or it's the friends we hang out with. Maybe it's what we watch on TV and absorb through the media. It gives us a certain color lens through which we see everything. Maybe it's just experiences. But we have these color lenses. And when you think about a lot of the bias and the bigotry and even the kind of the prejudice that we hold against one another, either in close relationships or people that we might not even really know. A lot of that goes back to this colored lens through which we see the world. And so if we're going to treat people correctly, if we're going to view them the way that God says they should be viewed, then we've got to make sure we've got clear lenses on. We've got to go back and see, well, what does God actually say? How does he say I should view this person? How does that compare with the way that I'm viewing them? See, on a vision test, what you do is you start at the top, and then you work your way down. And if you can't get to a certain point, you know instantly, okay, I need vision correction. If you can't see the first few lines on a vision test, then you know that you need vision correction. It's very similar with people. There's a few basics that we should see when we look at other people. And if we don't see those, then we know that we're not seeing correctly. There's a whole lot more to see. They're not just, people aren't just kind of summed up in a few lines on a piece of paper. There's a whole lot more to see. But there are some very basic things about them. And if we don't see them, then we know we are not seeing them correctly and we need vision correction. So today what I want to do is I kind of want to give us a spiritual vision test. I want to give us a few questions we can ask. Are we seeing these things when we look at other people? So when you look at others, the question is, what do you see? And the first test is, do you see someone who's made in God's image? Do you see someone made in God's image? This has to do with how important they are to God. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. 
says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what it's saying here is that everyone, every single person is made in the image of God. Now, it's worth pointing out that this passage doesn't say that, okay, he, he made people, he just made them a little higher on the food, food chain than everything else. It's not what it says. It doesn't say he just made people a little more powerful than all the other animals. No, it's saying he made us in God's own image. And that doesn't mean physically, because God doesn't have a physical body. So that's not what that's referring to. But kind of the implication for us is out of everything that's created, nothing is as important to God as human beings. And to make that perfectly clear to us, he says, I have made them in my image. I've done something to them. I've created them in a specific way and given them something that sets them apart and makes them unique. He's saying to us that, Humans are very, very important to me. Now, when it comes to God's image, it's not like a quantity that we possess. So some people don't possess more of it, and some people don't possess less. And actually, sin doesn't change the fact that we were made this way. It's innate. It's built into us. It's actually part of what it means to be human is to be made in the image of God. Sin might change our relationship with God, but it doesn't change the fact that God made us this way. And actually, obedience is not an indicator that one person was made more in the image than another. It's not an indicator that one person possesses more of it. We all possess it the same. If somebody obeys God and lives in line with the way that God wants them to live, yeah, they'll reflect more about who God is. But that doesn't mean that they possess more of the image. See, being made in God's image is something that he gave to all of us. And the statement is, is humans are incredibly, incredibly important to me. That's what God is saying to us. Actually, if you read through the Bible, what you'll find is there are several times where God speaks of our relationship with one another, how we should interact, how we should treat each other. And he references this being created in his image as a basis for the way that we should treat one another. Actually, there's an example of this in James chapter 3. This is what it says. It's talking about how we should talk about one another. It says this. It says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. The idea of to curse in Greek in this verse has the idea of doing harm to someone through your words. So doing harm to someone through your words. So you're saying something that could hurt them, saying something that could be harmful to them. It could be, it could be sarcasm. We could not even mean to hurt them, but we, we're just kind of being sarcastic and funny and we end up hurting them. It could be a joke. You know, maybe they're kind of the brunt of all of our jokes. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe we actually are intentionally malicious and we're trying to say something that really, really hurts this person. This is a big category of what we say. It's saying don't say anything that hurts other people. But what's interesting is it doesn't have anything to do with attacking somebody physically. It doesn't say, don't walk up to them and punch them in the face. I mean, it's just my words, right? I mean, come on, like words can't really hurt other people, right? I mean, it's not saying I'm not supposed to go up and attack them. It's just saying, don't say anything bad about them. I mean, that's the level. It's just, it's starting with our words. It's actually not even saying, don't say anything to their face that hurts them. It could just be me alone in private with nobody else around, and I'm still not to say anything about another person that could harm them. And what's the reason? Like this verse says, the reason we're not supposed to do this is because they have been made in the likeness of God. They've been made in his image. So in other words, what I'm doing is I'm cursing something that God says is incredibly important. So I have to be very careful about what I say. This week I was driving, 
and I pulled up to a red light. And the reason that the light was red was because there was a guy walking his dog, and he was on his cell phone, and he pushed the crosswalk button, a young guy. He pushes the crosswalk button, so my light turns red, and he has the little white character so he can cross the street. But he doesn't cross the street. He just stands there with his dog on his cell phone. And I'm, I can only assume he's playing Pokemon Go, because everybody's playing that game. And if you're playing that game, you have no idea what's going on around you. So he's got the little white walk symbol or signal or whatever, and he's just standing there on his phone, doesn't even move. I'm waiting patiently at the red light that he caused, waiting for it to turn so I can go. <laughs> then, all of a sudden, my light turns green. Guess what happens right when my light turns green? He walks in front of me. He's got the flashing don't walk sign. I have the green light, but he walks in front of me. I'm glad I studied this passage this week, <laughs> right? I might have said something. But the fact is, whether that was a stupid move or not, I mean, we all agree that was, that was not a wise thing, not the wisest thing the guy's ever done, but he was made in God's image. I have to be careful how I talk about him. You know, it actually works the same way with the people who are running for president right now. Those people were made in God's image. That means those people are important. Whether you agree with them or not, you have to be very, very careful how you talk about them. See, when you see other people, do you see somebody who was made in God's image? Is that what you see? If you look at them and you don't see somebody who is made in God's image, then you know instantly, I'm not seeing correctly, so I need to get a vision correction. The second vision test is this. Do you see somebody that Jesus died for? This has to do with how much God loves us. When we think about the people that we don't like, the people we're in conflict with, the people that have hurt us, maybe it's other groups of people that we don't agree with, do we view them as people that Jesus died for? It's a verse, John 3, 16. This is what it says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So who does God love? Loves the whole world. It doesn't say members of a certain social class. It doesn't say citizens of a certain country. It doesn't say people who speak a particular language. It doesn't say a certain race. It doesn't even say he only loves the people that we get along with. It says the whole world. That means everyone who has ever lived and everyone who ever will live, God loved them so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for them. And the reason that had to happen is because they've done a lot of evil stuff. They've sinned. Because of sin, they have broken their relationship with God. And so God has to step in and intervene and fix the problem by sending Jesus. You know who's included in that? I'm included in that. You're included in that. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. But you know who else is included in that? The whole world is included in that. So when you see other people, do we see them as people who Jesus died for? What's interesting is what we'll do is we'll try to make people out to be villains or terrible or because of what they've done, there's no way God for, could forgive them. Or they're unlovable. They're off limits. You know, you shouldn't have anything to do with them because of everything that we've done. We'll, we'll put them in this category kind of saying like, they can't be loved. They cannot be forgiven. What's interesting is when you read through the Bible, you find example after example of people who have done terrible stuff, but God loves them, and he died for them. An example is the Apostle Paul. Paul is an incredibly well-known character through the New Testament. Actually, if you read through the New Testament, what you'll find is 13 of the letters that are written to churches, he wrote those letters. He helped start a ton of churches when the church was first getting started right after Jesus left. He um, his missionary journeys are recorded in the book of Acts. A lot of history is given about the guy. What you find is about one-third of everything that's written in the New Testament is either written by Paul or written about Paul. 
he really is one of those super Christians. I mean, compared to Jesus, if you, if you remove Jesus from the discussion and you say, okay, who outside of Jesus are the most influential people in the Bible? Paul's right up there. He's one of the top guys. He's one of the guys that helped us understand what Jesus meant when Jesus talked. He would take Jesus' teaching and make it make sense for our lives. He explained how does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, resurrection make sense for us in our lives today. Super Christian, but Paul wasn't always like that. Actually, before he became a Christian, this is what he says about himself. Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down to foreign cities. I mean, just think about what he says here. He says, I ought to. He felt like it was his obligation to oppose people who identified with Jesus. It says that he put them in prison. When it came time, when they were in their trial and the question was asked, should they be put to death? He's the first one to raise his hand. Yes, of course they should be killed. He says that he punished them. He forced them to blaspheme. If you think about that, to force somebody to blaspheme is somebody essentially denying the faith. How much do you have to just pester someone to get them to say, no, I don't believe in Jesus? I mean, just think about that. He's just sitting there just berating these people, trying to get them to deny the faith. He says he hunted them down to foreign cities. Terrible stuff. The guy terrorized the Christians of his day. I mean, and, and what this was all based on was the fact that they had a different ideology than him. Because they didn't agree with his ideology, he said, okay, I'm going to do everything I can, even to the point of putting them to death. That's who this guy was. But Jesus died for Paul. Jesus saved Paul. And now Paul is this super Christian who thousands of years later, over 2,000 years, we still talk about this guy. People are named after this guy. Books are written about him and his work because he was so influential. What you find as you read through the Bible over and over, God does this. God takes these people who we look at and say are off limits, they're unforgivable, there's no way anybody can love them because of what they've done. God takes those people, he loves them, and he saves them, and then he uses them. And I think one of the reasons he does that is because he draws this comparison between our love and what real love is. So when you look at other people, do you see someone that Jesus died for? Somebody who God loves? The third spiritual vision test is this. Do you see an equal? When you look at other people, do you see an equal? Equal means being of the same value. And one of the ways that we get confused on this is we get confused on where our value comes from. We attach value to temporal items, what we do, who we are in a relationship with, our contribution to something. That's where we usually get our value from. But actually, our value comes from God. See, he created us. He created us in his image. He said we're important. He died for us. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus. He is the one we get our value from. So when I'm interacting with another person, really, if you boil it down, what you have is you have two created people, created by God, who God has said is valuable. Both of them are valuable. I'm valuable and they're valuable. You have two creatures who are both valuable relating to one another. You have equal relating to equal, not better interacting with lesser or more valuable interacting with less valuable but you have equal interacting with equal. Back to the story of the Good Samaritan. They actually understood this. The lawyer in that story, he answers Jesus correctly, and he shows that he knows his Bible well. He says this. He shall, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? The same way you love them, you love yourself. That's what you're supposed to do. You, you love them as an equal. You want what's best for yourself. You do. You got up this morning. You put yourself together. You've dressed well. You've probably taken a shower. You've fed yourself. You really want what's best for yourself, and you put energy into accomplishing that. Your goals, your dreams, you work towards those. So if that's how you love yourself, then how are you supposed to love other people if you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Then whatever is best for them, you're trying to do that. And you're actually putting energy into it. That's what he's saying. So this lawyer is very smart. He understands that to love your neighbor as you love yourself means you love them as an equal. But because of that, he asks a good question, but he wants to justify himself. And he says, desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he knows that neighbor means equal. But who is included is very important. That's why he has to justify himself, because he knows he doesn't love everybody as equal. See, probably people who had the same accomplishments as him, maybe people that were from the same Jewish race as him, maybe um, they were people that, disagree, that, that agreed with him, people that he liked what they thought and he thought the same way. He might treat them as an equal, people who are as intellectual as him. He might treat them as an equal, but he knew there was a bunch of people he did not view this way, he did not treat this way. That's why he has to justify himself. So he asks a question. He says, well, who's included? The debate is not over what does neighbor mean. Neighbor means equal. The discussion was, well, who's included as an equal? So Jesus does an amazing thing and tells him a story. And in the story, he makes the point perfectly clear. Everybody's your neighbor. Everybody's your equal. I think we get tripped up on this again because we attach our value to what we do. And we forget that our value ultimately comes from God. See, what we'll do is we'll attach our value to like the positions that we hold, the different offices we might hold in life, our jobs. We might attach our value to the privileges that we have. Maybe we have a certain privilege, and so we think that makes us more valuable. But kind of here's how this works with my little girl. I've got this amazing daughter. She's a little 19-month-old. She's a ton of fun. And you know if you show a picture, you're going to get a reaction. So it's always a bit of like as a parent, it's like, yes, we did raise a cute kid. Good. But uh, my little girl, she's awesome. She is my equal. She is a created being made in the image of God who Jesus died for. She's in need of the same blood from Jesus Christ for forgiveness that I'm in need of. We're actually equal in value. I hold a very different position than her. See, in the family, I'm her dad. As her dad, I make decisions that impact her. I'm her authority figure. That means that I have the responsibility to discipline her. I have a very different position than her, but I'm not more valuable than her. She's actually my equal. So when I interact with my little girl, even though she's only 19 months old, I'm supposed to interact with her and treat her with dignity and respect, not treat her as somebody inferior to me because she doesn't have the position that I hold. No, she is actually an equal. Same thing when it comes to the privileges that we have. I, I have very different privileges than my little girl. One of the privileges is I can drive a car. At 16, I took a test. I passed the test. And for 15 years, I've done what it takes to keep my license. I have the privilege of driving a car. My little girl doesn't have that privilege yet. When she's 16 and she passes the test, she can have that privilege. But to treat her as an equal, does that mean that I have to give her the privilege of driving a car? No. That would be incredibly foolish. If you've ever seen her push her little baby around the living room in her stroller, you would know how dangerous that would be not only for her or everybody on the road. That would be incredibly foolish if I gave her that privilege. If she does the work and she's at the right age, I can give her that privilege, or the state can give her that privilege. 
I can let her go get the license, which I will decide on that one. But I can give her that privilege. But you get the point. That doesn't mean she's not my equal. That doesn't mean she's not as valuable as me. Just because I hold a privilege that she doesn't. See, we attach our value to our position and our privilege, and we think that's what makes us valuable, or that's what makes another person valuable. And then we don't treat each other as equals. We have to realize that my little girl, even though she's 19 months, I'm 31, we hold very different positions. I have very different privileges than she does. She's still my equal. I still have to treat her with dignity and with respect. I can't treat her as a lesser. It's the same way with everybody. Back to the story of the Good Samaritan. When the Good Samaritan saw the man on the side of the road, this is actually what he saw. He saw an equal, somebody who was equally as valuable. The priest and the Levite, they didn't. The priest in that day, this is a guy who has a ton of political power, a guy with a ton of influence. He's elite. He has all kinds of privileges that other people don't have. He walks up to the guy lying on the side of the road, and because of everything that he has and because of how he sees that man, he walks to the other side and he hurries by. The Levite does the same thing. The Levite walks up. He's not as powerful as the priest, but he's still pretty powerful. Actually, the position he had, you had to be born into. Not just anybody could be a Levite. It was, it was based on your bloodline, based on your heritage. He had a lot of power as well. He walks up to this guy, and he hurries around to the other side. But then this Samaritan walks up. The Samaritan is the one who saw an equal. He has compassion. He takes action. He loves the man. The Samaritan could have seen somebody that his race had had racial conflict with for hundreds of years. Because the Samaritans and Jews, they had all kinds of animosity for one another, and they were racial issues. He could have seen that, and he could have walked by on the other side. He could have walked up, and based on what he saw, he could have seen a man who, given a role reversal, probably never would have helped him and determined, well, this guy wouldn't help me, so I'm not going to help him. He could have walked up, and he could have done that. But he doesn't. He walks up, and he sees somebody who's an equal. And he takes compassion, and he takes action to help the man. Exact same thing with us. When we look at the people around us, look at the people that we might not agree with, the people that we're in conflict with, the people that have different worldviews, maybe it's even the people that don't like us, do we still see them as an equal? Because if when you look at people, if you don't see them as an equal, then again, instantly you know you are not viewing that person correctly and you need vision correction. Back to the vision test. You start with the top three lines. That's kind of what we went through. And as you work your way down the test, if you can't see it clearly, then you know I need vision correction. Same thing when it comes to relationships, when it comes to other people. If when we look at other people, if we can't see these three very basic things about them, here's somebody who is made in God's image. Here's somebody who's incredibly important to God. God loved them so much that he sent Jesus to die for this person. Here is somebody who, when you boil it down, is my equal. I'm not more valuable, they're not more valuable. If you don't see that when you look at other people, you instantly know you're not seeing that person correctly. There is a whole lot more to see. I'm not going to deny that. There is their behavior. There's history. There's the circumstances you find yourself in. There is more to see in that person. A person cannot be boiled down to just three lines on a piece of paper. But if you don't see those three things first, without question, we are not viewing people correctly. Back to what Jesus said at the end of the story of the Good Samaritan. That's what he says. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer responds and he says, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. See, Jesus knew that it started with what we see. So the question is really simple. When you look at other people, what do you see? 
I got a few next steps for you this morning. These are on the bottom of your message insert. They're also on your connection card. Kathy had you fill out earlier. The first next step is ask God to help you view people correctly. I would encourage you, if there are people that you're struggling with, if it's a group of people, if it's maybe somebody that you're in conflict with, maybe it's a friend that you're just having trouble getting along with, I would encourage you, go through this list and just pray it. God, help me to view this as a person made in your image. God, help me to view this person as somebody that you love so much that you sent Jesus to die for. Just go through this list, pray through it. The, the following next step is to be careful how you talk about people. Remember, we're all made in God's image, and one of the things God says because of that, we need to be very careful what we say. So an interesting uh, question would be, if you took somebody who is objective, not, not one of your close friends who might agree with you, but somebody who is objective, and you ask them, based on what I say, how would you think that I view people? Based on what comes out of my mouth, what description would you give? What list would you create on how I view other groups of people or how I view people that I don't get along? Would they come up with this list for you? Or would they come up with another list? That would be an interesting project. I also encourage you, watch out on Facebook. You might not say it verbally, but Facebook, people can get in a lot of trouble by posting stuff. If somebody looked at your Facebook feed, all your posts, what would they think you think about other people? How do you view people based on what you're posting? So be careful how you talk about people. The final one, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. There's a devotion on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you've got that on your phone or maybe your iPad or your computer, um, there's a devotion. And for the next few days, it's just a week long. We're encouraging people to do this. It's called Thriving in Babylon. What it is, is it's look at the life of Daniel and some of the challenges he faced in the culture he lived in and how he handled those. So what we're going to do is we're just going to take some time and really there's a lot of comparisons between what Daniel went through in Babylon and some of the things that we're facing today. And So I think that's going to be very helpful. It goes along the lines of what I talked about this morning. If you want to do that, you can just check the box in the back of the connection card. We're going to send you an email tomorrow, kind of help you get started in that devotion, but that is very helpful and I think you guys would really enjoy that. So if you'll join me, we'll pray. And then the band will come up, and we'll sing our final song together. Father, I, um, I thank you for the fact that you created us unique. You made us in your image, and you're the one who says that we're important. And you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place and to fix the mess that we've made. And God, you created us all equal. You're the one who determined that we have value, not that someone is more valuable than another, but we're equals. God, I thank you for that. I, I ask that you would help us to view other people that way. When we see the groups around us, when we see people that we might not like, people we disagree with, I pray that we would not forget that they are made in your image, that you love them, and that we're equal. And I pray that our vision and our treatment of others would be accurate. So when we see them, and then we think about them, and we talk about them, and even when we relate to them, it would be in a way that you would want us to. It would be a way that's in line with truth. I thank you for not being silent on a topic like this, but giving us so much help in this area. And I pray as we go from here that we would practice this. We would practice treating people the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen.